Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. All right. Well, this is uh, week two of our weekly question and response. Not question and answer. Question, question and response. response. That's right. Uh, I'm Alex. I'm here with Jaime. And uh, in case you don't know, we do the same passage and same text. And we actually had the same, we call bottom line, typically uh, week in, week out on our messages. And so uh, we get to study together and, and prep it together. We had the same bottom line, and then we can kind of go whatever direction you want to, given that bottom line. And uh, Hyman and I, we had some, we had a different, uh, some difference, some significant differences perhaps on the uh, this week's passage, but we had a good time with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, so we got some great questions this week. In fact, we got more than we could probably get to. So we're going to take a, a, a hit at some of these and uh, keep it snappy, keep it moving. And if we don't get to your question, please don't take it personally. Nothing personal about that. And uh, drop us an email. We'd be glad to follow up with it. So a uh, question number one, this is really, this is, this is the lead off and it's, it's the most significant one probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, it says, uh, help me to understand what candy Jesus likes more, Snickers or Reese's. This is the question of the ages. Jaime, how would you, uh, how'd you respond to that one? All right. And for the sake of time, I'm going to propose that we do one word and maybe two sentences to support it. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. I'm so gonna I'm going to argue for Reese's. I think it has the balance of chocolate and peanut butter. It is simple, delicious, and uncomplicated. Uh, I'm going to argue for Snickers because of the robust combination of peanuts and caramel and whatever else is in there that is an addition to uh, the chocolate around it. So I'm going Snickers. Jaime's going Reese's. Maybe like it's more of a personality test than anything else. Uh, the reality is there was no processed sugars back then, and so uh, Jesus was probably much healthier for having not been exposed to either one of these uh, <laughs> detrimental foods to our lives. All right, so we looked at the uh, the, the vine and the branches passage in John 15, and the, the one great question that someone asked is, how do we know we are actually connected with God to begin with? It sounds like that's the a priori question of how do we get into the vine and connect it with the vine. So, honey, you want to take a pass at that? Yeah, yeah. I'll take a quick pass, and then um, we'll see where we go from there. I think, uh, well, first, I mean, the Scripture gives us some indication. There's a sense of if we've made a decision to follow Jesus, um, if you want to take some some of Paul's words there, if we've confessed with our mouth and believed with our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, uh, there's some, some sense there. Um, if we've made... Uh, if we've aligned our wills with the with the idea of following him and 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 trying to be faithful to that, uh, I think there's a sense where we can have some confidence that uh, that he is with us. And I think there's also a sense if we are seeking that sort of sense of am I following him? Am I in line with him? Uh, a, a sense of trust that if we were not, if we had sort of veered off the path, that God would let us know. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. What do you yeah, think about yeah. that? Alex? No, that's great. I, I think the, I think the idea of you know a, a lot of kind of Western, at least American Southern Christianity has like, uh, uh, have you prayed the prayer or done one thing right? And the idea that the New Testament talks about, and particularly with Jesus, but obviously with Paul as well, is discipleship. Is like uh, like being a follower of Jesus, not mm-hmm. just checking a box as I've done something, prayed a prayer or whatever. So I think this this connection with God. Jesus says, hey, listen, if if you if you follow me, abide in me, then, then, and you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you're following me, then you are in like, essentially we're saying here, uh, we're trusting in Jesus to be the one who leads us to connection with God. Right. And, uh, and as we, as we enter into life with him in an ongoing way, uh, that is how the connection with God both is given birth as we confess with our heart, our, our mouth and believe in our heart and, you know, are baptized and, and those sort of things. Uh, and then that's sort of this initial entree into relationship with God and reconciliation with God, which is, uh, uh, you know, 
uh, a one-time event and then the ongoing abiding, which we talked about this past Sunday. Um, so how do we know? Well, I think that there's a, I think essentially we, we know as we trust Jesus to tell us, uh, you know, and the rest of the New Testament scriptures to unpack what Jesus has done to say, yes, I believe and trust that what Jesus has said is true, that this is how I can get connected with God. If Jesus has come to reconcile us with God. Uh, I trust he's telling us the truth and that uh, essentially Again, uh, the the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is God validating Jesus' teaching that he is the one who shows us what the Father's like, right? Mm-hmm. That Jesus says these audacious things. I'm the one who's come. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's come to reconcile you, God, to God. And then God says, yes, he is the one by raising him from the dead. And this is something that the New Testament, particularly in Acts, you see the disciples reference that over and over and over again. Um, the authority of Jesus is validated uh, by uh, God's raising him from the dead. Um. Great. Well, that's our first pass at that. Obviously, a lot more we could say about that, but we'll uh, move on to uh, question number three. Uh, this is uh, a, sort of a follow-up question to that a little from a different person. It, it says, uh, is it our choice to remain a branch on the vine, or is it God's choice to remain a branch on the vine? Maybe a little predestination free will kind of a take on this, but uh, Jaime, you want to take a pass at that? Yeah, yeah. Well, considering that we're a, a big tent kind of a church, we welcome people from a lot of... Uh different parts of the theological spectrum on, on a lot of different questions. You, you might see a little bit of, of where I land on this. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I think God's desire would always be that we would remain on, on, the, on the vine. I think that we would remain connected to him would be God's desire, God's preference always. Um, I think there there is an active choice on our end to remain or not. I think um, when I think of the idea of God's covenant with humanity, uh, God's movement towards humanity. It's always that God has made the first move. And yeah. the move is to connect us to him. Yeah. And uh, the agency that we have is to choose to meet God uh, in the place where he's offered, uh, you know, where he's created space for us. And so either we, we say yes, or we choose to remain, or, or we don't. Um, I think if we have a sense and I'm going to say this, not believing that this actually happens. If we have a sense that God has chosen that we not remain or that we lose our place, uh, I think more of what we're seeing is that we've chosen to ignore the place that's there for us. Uh-huh. That would be sort of my uh-huh. quick pass on this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I knew someone who was uh, not a Christian, and he believed in predestination, that he'd been predestined to not believe. That was sort of his cover for not believing. I'm like, I think there's something more going on here. Uh, actually, you know, my own journey – in this in, in this question of sort of God's agency or activity and ours, uh, I, you know, if on a scale of one to ten, sort of ten being God decided what color socks I'm wearing today, uh, and one being God's not not involved at all. At one point, I was probably like a nine. Like I was sort of like God was sort of intricately sort of scripting every twist and turn of history. That was probably uh, you know twenty years ago. And I think over the like I've. I've migrated to where I'm probably more like a 6.5, where clearly God's the initiator. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis says if Shakespeare and Hamlet were ever to meet, it's me Shakespeare's doing, right? The idea that the author or the characters are going to meet, God's the one who intervenes and sort of steps in. So I think that there's a sense where God is the initiator, and we talked about that with, with Jesus being the one who uh, is going to abide in us first. That's the, that's the opening invitation in John 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, and then the, uh, the question of, well, how are we going to respond to God's initiation toward us in mm-hmm. Jesus? And what, and I do think, I do think that there's, uh, we make decisions, I make decisions, to, you know, regularly to stay in step with the spirit or not stay in step with the spirit to, to, to follow Jesus or respond in a Christ-like way to challenges, conflict, opportunities, whatever, temptation, or to decide not to respond in a Christ-like way. And I think those, that, uh, I think 
we habituate those decisions to, that end up becoming the uh, the remaining, not remaining yeah. kind of a thing, right? Over time, that if I continue to, you know, there's there's exhortations in the New Testament, and today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because mm-hmm. there's a way that there's a way where that hardening can can become habituated, where I'm just sort of ignoring God, ignoring God, ignoring God, and where I don't even hear it anymore. Now, there's plenty of times I don't hear God, or I do, or I do ignore God and play through prompts from the Spirit, or know what the right thing to do is and do the other thing anyway, right? And so um, I do think the, uh, the, the invitation for us is, is, is to the work of remaining and abiding and recognizing within that matrix as we fall short or struggle that uh, God's gracious and generous and this, the, me- the mechanisms of forgiveness and invitation to repentance, like all that's sort of the ongoing part of remaining and abiding in the vine, uh, even, even, in, even in the points where we struggle to do so actively, um, which, you know, I mean, there's a problem. So he wouldn't really know what we're talking about. It's all theory for him. He really know what we're talking about today. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, last question for, uh, from my end, I'll, I'll pitch the ball over to you is, uh, what are the tangible signs a person's choosing not to remain? And are there ways we can evaluate that or, or see that I'm, I'm curious i'm not sure if this person means in themselves or other people but maybe it's maybe it's a combination of both maybe there's someone that they're concerned about uh but other ways that we can what are signs a person's choosing not to remain other ways that we can evaluate that or see hmm. that know that yeah it, it so it's hard to make that decision or to make that determination for other people we, we don't know what's going on in yeah. people's uh, hearts we don't know what's going on in people's minds all the time so I, I would I would I would be very hesitant to say about someone oh that person is not remaining I mean I think there are instances where you can say the actions that they're taking the choices that they're making um, make me wonder um, but without more knowledge, I, I'd be hesitant to to make that sort of judgment call. Uh, personally, I think for for myself, and if you if one is looking internally, what are signs that that maybe I'm not remaining, or maybe I'm getting close to that point where I've 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 made enough choices that that uh, that I might be in danger of not remaining. I think it's a sense of resisting God's will or uh-huh. God's desire, an active and ongoing resistance. Um, if there's a, a word of correction, a word of guidance, a word of direction that uh, that we're putting off um, continuously, yeah. uh, to the point where where either we're we're um, we're we're by default saying that we know better than God, or right. or we're saying, you know what, I God is okay as a consultant in my life, but I need to be able to 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 make my own determination about what's good for me and what's not. Uh, then those sorts of things that go on internally, I think, are good sort of check engine lights that turn on and say, "Okay, this is what my life looks like now. Have I have I chosen out? Have I chosen yeah. out? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think one. Well, I think it's it's helpful to to begin to identify too. If remaining is a goal that you have mm-hmm. to, be, to even name the places, where, where do I have tension over yeah. remaining? Right, where are the places where I don't want? <laughs> I don't want to give God access. Right, mm-hmm. I want to kind of block off God out of my professional life or my personal life in this particular area or my money or the, my career decisions or whatever. I think it's helpful to begin to identify those things. Again, personally, if, if abiding and remaining is a, is a goal to begin to say, okay, what are the places where I might resist that remaining and, and recognizing that like, okay, uh, I, me and the Lord need to, I need to be honest with myself, begin to kind of perhaps, uh, 
get to the bottom of like, okay, what are the things, what, what's up? What am I not believing about God mm-hmm. that I'm resistant to his reign and rule in this area of my life? What am I believing? I'm not believing about his goodness or his love or his, you know, that he's for me or, um, yeah, that God could call us to do hard things or, or to surrender something that, or, or let go of something or have a dream die that is, can be hard to let go of. But I think, uh, the big picture question of, which obviously, you know, wrestling over some portion of your life doesn't automatically mean you're not remaining in total, but it is, it is, it is important to see, well, that could actually have, that could, if, if I don't believe God's good in this area, I could begin to believe it's not good yeah. across the board, right? And that could, that, that could, that, that, that's a, that is an, that's a threat to our abiding, our remaining in mm-hmm. Christ is the, is, because essentially the very first temptation is God's holding out on you. That's Genesis 3. God yeah. isn't, God is not for you. God's not for your good. Every temptation at the core says there's something better for you outside God's will, reign, rule, right? And so essentially not abiding, not remaining in the vine is saying, I am trusting the lie of the serpent that life off the vine is better than life on the vine, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the core of every temptation. And uh, there's areas in all of our lives where we have a tendency to believe that lie uh, or we're resistant to God's reign. And so fighting for that in our own hearts and naming that in prayer and naming it before the Lord and saying, God, I'm resistant to you in this area. And this is just true right now. And, you know, let's have a conversation about that. Let me, you know, I, I like even I want to trust you or I want to want to trust you in yeah. this area. I've had that prayer with, with God before for Absolutely. sure. Like, okay, God, I don't, I, I'm, I'm naming now. I don't really trust you. Uh, I'm not sure I even want to trust you, but I want to want to trust you at least on some theoretical level. Right. And uh, to do that work uh, is, has been important for me spiritually at some key points along the way. Yeah, I think I, I I'm I'm with you on that, and I and I think it, uh, a a key point to to hone in on with that is this sense that it's not it's not a sort of a moment by moment thing. It's right. not like oh we make a wrong decision or we resist in one area now we're not remaining anymore. Uh, it's an accumulation That's of right. things. Right. Uh, I think there are processes that we go through in our lives. You know that th- it takes a long time for us to give in on some things, for us to stop resisting some things, for us to believe in some things about God. I think if our heart is aligned with wanting it, if our heart is aligned with the sense of we actually want to remain, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're we're not sure that we're doing it right, but we want to. There's a disposition in our heart towards God. I think God sees that yeah, that's great. Uh, and, and God honors it. I think at the point where we look at our whole lives and we realize here are all these areas that we're resisting or we're not trusting or we're not believing. Uh, and actually we're not even saying anymore that we want to remain. Um, then that, you know, that sort of introspection right. is one that one has to do for oneself. No one can do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Good stuff. All right, you got a question for me? Yeah, I do. And uh, it has to do with this sort of um, this this tension between what's communicated in John 15, what Jesus says, which is apart from him, we can do nothing. Uh, and all the good things that we see people do, even things where, where God's hand is clearly at work, uh, when there's miraculous things that happen, supernatural things that happen. But these are people who don't follow God, who don't follow Jesus. Uh, so how are those things possible when apart from him we can do no good? Yes, Or great. do nothing? Yeah, right. It's a good question. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important to, to take Jesus' words, particularly in context right there. He's in the upper room, closest followers. Uh, he's getting ready to die. They don't really get all that's going to happen with him in the next 24 to, you know, couple days. Uh, but the idea of um, that Jesus is getting ready to send them on a mission to do something that's going to have eternal impact. And the idea that the, the, the work and the mission the disciples are being sent out on um, is bigger than they can pull off on their own. They don't have the skill set. They don't have the ability to do this. And so the, I, think, I think clearly people who don't know Jesus make good art, write good legislation, uh, build great companies, 
um, all those sort of things. I think the, uh, the, the larger, truer things of like the only eternal good things are drawn from and rooted in sort of Jesus himself. Like that's, that's the eternal good. Uh, and that only Jesus has eternal good energy in him. Right. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us are made in God's image and thank God that we are and have, vestiges of that remaining in all of us right the sin has corrupted that but not totally just not totally destroyed that yeah and so there is good that gets done all the time by people who don't know jesus um and and yet at the same time all eternally good things are sourced in christ because he's sort of that eternally good energy that's kind of been brought and in, introduced into this fallen world to remake it to make it new again and that's I think that's I think what Jesus is getting at with his disciples, calling them essentially to this radical dependence on him that they're going to absolutely have to have this posture for the rest of their lives because they're going to they're gonna be facing all kinds of opposition, all kinds of conflicts, all kinds of things that don't go well, both within the church. So there's, you know, every letter written in the New Testament is written to churches where there's problems. You know, there's all kinds of problems in the church. I think I think they're going to need to have this radical posture of dependence on Jesus, which is the whole imagery of a vine and branches and apart from me, you can do nothing. All that is all that is the disposition he's trying to instill in them as they get launched into this radical mission. And it's the, it's the disposition that all of us are invited into as Christ followers, to have this radical disposition of of, uh, of rooted and remaining and abiding in, in Christ and drawing on the power of the Spirit to do eternal work that makes a difference into eternity. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'm with you on that. I think part of what uh, Jesus is drawing, and I think he's drawing these extremes because he wants – he wants the stakes to feel clear to people yeah. and to his, not only to his disciples, definitely to his disciples, but I think then John communicating to the audience that heard it and then those of us who have read it uh, afterwards, that there's a sense where nothing that lasts eternally is found outside of God. And, you know, there's a part of me, and, and I'm just going to spitball this because I'm wondering uh, if there's sort of a, a Hebrew value outside of this. So part of the Hebrew mentality uh, is that um, whatever is not remembered, whatever there's no one around to remember, if there's no one around to remember something, did it even happen? It's like it uh, got erased. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Right? That's part of the reason why having children and continuing your legacy is is the way you sort of exist. You get remembered. If you right. don't if you're not remembered, if no one is around with your name, it's not it's like you never existed. There's right. there's a value in that. That that's one of the values. So I wonder if some of this is that as well. You know, if 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 you're not around or if 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 this is not something that is is done in the sort of eternal context if you're not connected to the vine and you're not remembered in eternity then then are those acts remembered and if they're not remembered then then it's like they were nothing it's not like in the moment they weren't nothing but in the context of eternity they they sort of have have passed away they've vanished they're no longer remembered i wonder if that remembering thing is is part of it that's just me Going on a on a well, no, yeah, well, yeah. There's, there's, well, there's an Old Testament theme of like you know all our days are like a mist, a vapor, like the, mm -hmm. like there's that kind of remembrance, particularly Ecclesiastes, which is mm -hmm. the most tortured of the Old Testament books. Yeah. But 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 frequently, you know, teach us to number our days, right? That we want to incline our hearts to wisdom. There's this there's this real sense in the in the in the Old Testament text in the Hebrew world of of how passing things are, mm -hmm. right? And what what is the eternal, right? And that the in that the uh, in the Psalms. Uh, and all the Old Testament wisdom literature, the things that stay and are stable are always the good things. Mm -hmm. The things that are passing and the most most transient are always uh, not valued. Now, in our current context, where change is everything, right? 21st century America, Westerners, we always want more, new, faster, those sort of things, right? And we, we actually value change more than we value stability or constancy. And I think there's a, there's there's something maybe drawn to be drawn from that. It's really intriguing. It's nice, nice insight there, Jaime. Nice, yeah, nice well, there might be more to think yeah, about that's there. Uh, and then here we have one more question. 
which is uh, about this idea of um, of not remaining. The imagery used in the passage is that uh, the, thro- the throwing in the fire. Uh-huh. And so there's a question is, could it be that this is a refining fire where impurities are burned away and, you know, the, it's sort of a cleansing experience uh, to then return one to the vine. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think the uh, the John 15 passage particularly, obviously fire is used often as a refining element and imagery throughout Old Testament uh, particularly. Um, and so I, I, I could see with there's some resonance there for sure. I think in the John 15 passage particularly, I think there's a, a warning. Talked about this at Woods on Sunday. Like the warnings are gifts of love to people we care about, right? If we didn't care about people, we didn't give them warnings. Mm-hmm. Saying, hey, the, the, uh, there's a path that could lead to pain, disaster, destruction, if, and uh, – if, if you know about that path and you love people, you want to warn them about it. I think this is a genuine word of warning to people that Jesus loves, his disciples, and to us. Say there is, there's a path that leads to destruction. You don't want to go down that path. And so I think that there is a – I think that in, partic- in this particular context, John 15, there, is a, a, there are larger things at stake. Now, clearly, God is constantly refining us, mm-hmm. right? There's constant and – the, and the imagery used there is pruning in John yeah. 15, right? And that – which is also not a pleasant experience to be pruned. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think that's the, the the pruning versus the fire. I think those are uh, I think those are ex- in, expressly and intentionally two different things in John fifteen. Yeah, I agree, and it also makes it's worth mentioning that the word used for pruning in the passage is the same word that's used for cleansing. That's right. Uh, and so that I think is the 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 motif or the word the image that John is using to communicate the idea that we are refined, that we are made better. And in fact, the, the passage communicates it as a sense of this happens so that you can bear more fruit. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that makes the difference. That's why I don't think the, um, the fire in this passage is a refining fire because uh, everything that's good, everything that's life comes from being connected to the vine. Uh, right. You know, once you take right. a vine off the branch and, you know, all metaphors break down somewhere. Sure. I think this is not where this one breaks down. I think once you uh, take a, a branch off the vine and throw it in the fire, there's no going back. Uh-huh. There's no going back. Uh, th- th- there's no opportunity for more fruitfulness. So I think particularly in, in this instance, the, the fire imagery is, is not a refining imagery. I think the pruning imagery is the uh, refining imagery because it's the only thing that, that, that remains connected to the source of life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. How many do we have time for one more? What's our What's our time looking like? Uh, I think we have time for a quick one, but we're running short. All right, here we go. So, the qu- one last thing on uh, on joy. How does How does remaining in Jesus' love lead to joy? And and what does that What does that joy look like? How's joy looking complete? Uh, joy Joy completes what Jesus is promise, promising in this passage. On earth, how do we understand kind of joy made complete? All right, I'll take a quick pass at it. Uh, I think the question of uh, Remaining in Jesus' love leading to joy. I think of it uh, in a lot of ways like, like any relationship that uh, – in a marriage particularly, whatever, that, the, that, that when you remain in love and continue to say yes and re-remain and re-remain and re-remain over the long haul, there is a, there's a joy that people who hit uh, a 50th wedding anniversary have that people who have been married five years don't have yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a way we're remaining in that, that, that love. Again, when it's healthy, not every 50-year-old marriage is healthy even, but the marriages that get that far down the road – uh, there's a deeper joy that's that's come out of that relationship over time. And I think that I would say that those things, those things are connected in that way, that remaining in Jesus' love, abiding in his love, cultivating that love, bears the fruit of joy as you continue to walk down it over many years. And I think that, it, that, that ties into my picture of what uh, mature, complete joy looks like in the Christian life. And that is that uh, that the 
that the ongoing, the maturation, the, the long obedience, the same direction kind of thing, that there's just a deeper well of joy that, that builds up as we, as our attachment to Christ grows, our, as our detachment to smaller things, hopefully lessens as, as we mature. I think there's a way where, uh, where joy is the fruit of those things as we continue to sort of remain and abide and re-remain over and over and over again in the long haul. Yeah, I think uh, to quick pass at it, there are three words that come to mind when I think about what joy looks like. It looks like delight. It looks like um, life satisfaction. Um, yeah, I, and I forgot my third word. That's okay. Uh, it'll come to me. Uh, and uh, part of what I think happens is that as we remain in him, uh, one is we, we, we learn more of him. So we, we become more conformed to him. So his love fills us and his character fills us. His nature fills us. And, and perfect joy is found in him. Joy in its most complete form is demonstrated in God. So there's a way in which we, we don't have words to express what fullness of yeah. joy looks like because we are not fully like God yet. Yeah. Uh, and then I think it gets demonstrated or part of what, what happens is in the way in which we love others, because it's the way in which God, we see God exercise love. We see God exercise joy in the way he interacts with us. Uh, and so I think in, in the receiving his love in the loving others, joy starts to blossom and flourish. And so there's deep life satisfaction there's the there's delight there's contentment mm-hmm. um there's this sense that it's not that life circumstances don't matter right but that they're not enough to shake that sense mm-hmm. of life satisfaction of delight and of gladness yeah. yeah 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 that's rich i think i think i've recently felt like i've hit a a fresh stretch of that like a a, d- a deeper level of like oh wow there's i have a there's some things that there's some things that have kind of happened last month, couple months that I think five years ago would have rattled me more than they have this time around. Like, oh, I think my joy is increasing. I think my joy that 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 these things aren't affecting me quite as much as my relationship with with Jesus is is the bigger thing and all that. So, great questions, everybody. Thanks for jumping in with uh, some fantastic questions this week. Thanks for listening, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you and getting your questions next week. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today on uh, on the way with Jesus. All right, we'll see you all next week.